I will be reading Matthew verses 20 Matthew 28 verses 1 through 10. Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen, as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me, is the word of the Lord. Once again, um, just do a little Miss Pageant wave at one another and just say, hey, Christ is risen. And you can respond, he is risen indeed. So Easter really changes everything. Uh, everything about life and the world changed because of Christ's resurrection. C.S. Lewis, he wrote The Chronicles of Narnia. And he wrote many books like Mere Christianity, The Screwtape Letters. C.S. Lewis actually says the basis of Christianity, the reason it grew in the first hundreds of years, two, three hundred years, was not the Bible, was not Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the Gospels, because they haven't been put together yet until decades later. The single basis of why Christianity was the basis, uh, the basis of Christianity grew, it was the resurrection. And so let me read from C.S. Lewis what he writes in his book, The Miracles. He says, the resurrection is the central theme in every Christian sermon reported in the book of Acts. The resurrection and its consequences were the gospel or good news which the Christians brought. That's the message. What we call the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, are the narratives of our Lord's life and death. And they were composed later for the benefit of those who had already accepted the gospel. They were in no sense the basis of Christianity. They were written for those already converted, to give them a little more context. The miracle of the resurrection and the theology of that miracle comes first. The biography comes later as a comment on it. Nothing could be more unhistorical than to pick out selected sayings of Christ from the Gospels and to regard those as the datum and the rest of the New Testament as a construction upon it. The first fact in the history of Christendom is a number of people who say they have seen the resurrection. It, it, maybe I'm a car guy, so maybe I could liken it to 
You could have the fastest car, but if you are missing that one key, that car is just sitting there. And that car is useless. It's just decoration. It can't be moved. You waste a lot of money on it, and it's pointless. Christianity is like that if you don't have the resurrection of Jesus Christ. If Jesus never rose, we are all hopeless and lost. There's no basis for this. And Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, we're just wasting our time and we're hopelessly lost in sin. So children, we have those red dots still on our faces. And so this resurrection was not just something that was conjured up by Jesus, but it was, can you imagine, 600 years before Jesus' death, it was already mentioned in the Old Testament. This is a verse that we commonly know, Isaiah 53. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offering and prolong his days, and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hands. If you read that, what is he saying? He's saying, though the Lord makes his life an offering of sin, this servant, there's a servant who's going to die. He will see his offering, prolong his days, and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hands. But verse 11, after he has suffered, he will what? See the light of life and be satisfied. Now, I don't know anybody that suffers and dies, and then later you could say, but he sees the light of life. So the Isaiah text is specifically not any king, as some liberal scholars would say. This is speaking of the Messiah who is going to die and come back to life. 600 years before Jesus. And then this is the craziest part at the end. And by his knowledge, may, uh, my righteous servant will justify many. You know what that means? That means I'm going to drop my clicker. That means that the person, the servant who died and rose again, is the servant who's going to make others clean before God, and they can stand in before God's presence righteous. 600 years before Jesus. But it's not just Isaiah. Hosea, come, let us return to the Lord. This, this verse foreshadows three days. This is Israel. They rebelled against God, and God's going to punish them. And Israel figuratively dies in Babylonian captivity. He has torn us to pieces, but he will heal us. He has injured us, but he will bind up our wounds. After two days, he will revive us. On the third day, he will restore us that we may live in his presence. And the Hebrew word for revive, get this. It's to bring someone back from the dead. They're not just tired. They're, they don't need a vacation. They're not just injured. They're dead. And the Hosea is foreshadowing hundreds of years before Jesus. Someone's going to die, but they will rise again. This is not something Jesus made up. This is not something Christians made up. You can't make this stuff up. And so the resurrection was foreshadowed. The resurrection is the basis of why you and I are here. By the way, why did the Jews change their worship from Saturday, which is Sabbath, to Sunday? The first day of the week. We read it today. On the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and Mar the other Mary went to the tomb on Sunday. And this is why the people started worshiping from Saturday to Sunday. Now, you all know how hard it is to change a habit, right? You all have a hard time changing the time zone, daylight savings time. These guys changed the day that they worshiped because Jesus rose again and this resurrection was not figurative, it was literal. This is the basis of you and me having hope. And so Jesus didn't just symbolically resurrect from the dead, as some people say. I've heard that. 
oh, he, he died, but it's a symbolic reference that we could all have a renewed career. No, he wasn't a metaphor. He's not a butterfly. Butterflies was a metamorphosis. He died. He should be going through rigor mortis. That's kind of clever. It's kind of. But he died, but he rose again. And because he rose again, can we say this? This is the theme today. The tomb is empty. The tomb is empty. So uh, we're going to play a game. Kids, I like game. Everyone, can you play a game? This is uh, positive and this is negative. Not hard, right? Word association. I'm going to throw out a word. If it gives you a positive connotation, do this. If it's a negative connotation, do this. If you don't know, just, just do this. All right, here we go. Puppy. You better put your thumbs up. If you did this, you really need God. Hot meal. All right, all right. We like hot. Hey, tacos. Uh, flat tire. Wrinkles. Laughing amongst newborn baby. <laughs> that's awesome. Some of the younger youth group girls are like, that's right, that's right. Amen. Amen. Okay, uh, empty. Oh, oh, yeah, gotcha, huh? Depends. It depends. But usually in our culture, the word empty is tied with idioms that are negative, like running on empty. What does that mean? <sighs> I, I, I'm gas. I got nothing left. Or glass is half empty. What does that mean? This person, he thinks like glass is half empty. What does that mean? This person is pessimistic, right? So the, the word empty in our day is used in a negative connotation. It, it's a bad thing. We don't like to be empty. We like to see our checking accounts full, not like college kids, empty. We want to see, you know, our meals and pantries full. We want to see all these things full, but, you know, what if sometimes empty could be one of the best things that could happen to us? The, the tomb was empty. And the way we look at emptiness could actually be the beginning of something hopeful and filling, ironically. And so we always fight so that we're never empty. Work that second job, third job, promotion. We want that paycheck. We want our life to be full. And then, don't raise your hand, but you're like, why am I doing all this? Comes to our minds. So we live in this American culture where, like, full, bigger, badder, better. And I was watching a documentary in 1970s. Ford, Chevy, and GM were making cars with 7, 12 miles per gallon. Big boats. They weren't selling a car because the Japanese and the Germans were coming with little tiny cars. And then America realized, oh, bigger isn't better. And they adjusted too late. Remember Chevette? Was, uh. Anyway, so bigger, better, but what if empty could be good? But I do want to acknowledge, sometimes empty is painful, yes? Okay, empty checking account, it's not a joke. It could be scary. How do we pay that mortgage? Uh, empty food at the table. Food anxiety is real in America, in California. But it gets even heavier. You know, think of the parents who lost children, and they go to the room, and it's empty. Think of a widow who's used to a warm body next to them, and now it's empty. 
and spiritually think about us before God because of sin. That when we count God and we say, God, I'm worthy, and realize our sin gives us zero righteousness, we are empty. We have nothing to stand before God on our own merits. Empty is, is this weird conundrum that is painful, depending on the context. But Easter does something fascinating. <laughs> Easter, Jesus' resurrection has a habit of taking something that's horrible and making it beautiful. He takes something, ashes in so many songs, ashes to life and, and dirt to, to growth. And he, we hear songs like this. And Easter resurrection is the only thing that changes everything that could be hopeless and empty to something full. Sometimes empty can be good, like a clean, empty cup when you need to drink of water, or an open lot when you need to build a community center, or the empty tomb that Jesus rose again and walked out of. So in today's text, I want to look at verse 1. There's a moment when you see the women looking at the empty tomb, and it goes from shock and horror to joy. And the context of the resurrection changes how they perceive emptiness from hopelessness to hope. Verse 1, now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the a week, Sunday morning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. You know the first thing that notice when you read that? Uh, women turn to the men and say, where were the men? Just, just, where were the men? You know where the men were? Just, they had no clue. Women were the only ones that got up that day and went to the tomb. Nobody had any expectation. They had zero expectation that anything fantastic was going to happen. Even though Jesus said three times, I'm going to die on the cross, rise again. So women are the ones that go see the tomb, which is fascinating for a culture that shows that women have no credibility as a witness, which makes it so true. And they have zero expectation, and they go in there, and now imagine with me, play with me, okay? They go to the tomb, and they ask the guards to open it, and they do, and there he is, a bandaged body lying there with leaking blood oozing out. The shape of their master just lying there decaying. Can you imagine what that would have felt like? That what they wanted to see or expected to see in their minimal expectation was what they got. How hopeless is that? Two words come to mind. The end. That's it. There is no resurrection. There's no hope. There's no peace. That's it. He's dead. Well, thank you for your lessons. We'll remember you. We may make a, maybe make a marker, but Jesus is dead. You feel that weight? You feel that heaviness and hopelessness? So, so Mary and Magdalene go there. That's not the story, thank God. Verse 2, and behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. I found this to be so funny. Look at the next line. So the guards trembled and they were frozen and they became like dead men. The angel comes, verse 5. But the angel said to the woman, <laughs> I found that to be funny. Because angels looking at the soldiers and going, oh, well. Well, women, I got a message for you. That's how I read it in my weird brain. This message is for you, 
women. Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who, has, who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen. As he said, come see the place where he lay. And instead of seeing a decaying body, they saw an empty then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead, and behold, he is going, to, going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. And look at this verse. Can we read it together? So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. Now, if you're like me, you should be asking a question. How do fear and great joy go together? Yes? When's the last time you had fear and great joy? So I looked that up. I was like, what does that mean? And I, I really appreciated this commentary. This suggestion is, why fear? Never in the history of mankind has anybody died and rose again. That brings this awesome fear. Can it be true? Now, that's kind of freaky a little bit, right? Like, we watch Walking Dead. <laughs> we watch Last of Us. Uh, but this was 2,000 years before that, that a man died and rose again. So there's this fear. It doesn't make sense. And trembling. But there is this personal ability because they love Jesus so much that it brings out joy. Could it be true? And so they left to tell his disciples. Uh, Five-year-old Brian, just as a true, like a funny little story, had a pivotal verse to recite in the Easter program at church. The verse is, he is not here, he is risen. Unfortunately, he could not remember what to say because he was so nervous. The director had to quietly remind him over and over. He then confidently grabbed the microphone and triumphantly said, he's not here, he's in prison. <laughs> and the angel said, he is not here. Not in prison. He is risen. He is risen indeed. And so this woman's hope of seeing an empty tomb goes from shock and horror to utter joy. This is only what God can do through Jesus Christ. He could bring emptiness and hollowness and emptiness into great joy. Emptiness is not a bad thing. Easter finally made sense because the tomb was empty. And the tomb was empty because there was no body. There was no body because that body happens to belong to Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, as the Bible calls him, the Alpha and Omega. He was not just a teacher. He is not a Muhammad. He is not Buddha. He is the incarnate living word who came. That itself was a miracle. But he died and rose again. You know, I want to show you... Uh, something later on jesus approaches uh the women and says do not be afraid go and tell my brothers go to galilee and there they will see me i find this to be such an awesome part look at this you see the angels what they told the women and you see what jesus said to the women now look at it carefully do you see the pattern you know when you read the bible over you always find something new three same messages to the women do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Tell his disciples, go tell my brothers. There you will see him. There they will see me. I was like, wait, that's really strange. The angels and Jesus told the women the same 
message, three things they needed to hear, and it was this. There's a reason not to be afraid. Two, know that the miracle of the resurrection is real and it happened. And third, you will see Jesus. Right? These three things, you agree with me? Are we on the same page so far? Right? You following? And so I realized, what are the three things that people in 2023 do you think need to hear the most these days? You know what you and I, you know what I need to hear? There is no reason to be afraid. But what about, there is no reason to be afraid. Why? God is in control, even in death. Hallelujah. Two, you need to know one thing. If you're not a good Christian, that's okay. If you haven't been to church for 20 years, that's okay. You can start coming anytime. If you messed up, that's, Jesus says, greater the sin, greater the grace. That's okay. But know this. That's okay because I've overcome the grave. I am alive. Resurrection happened. I'm not just a teacher. I have broken through death so that you can have it too. You don't need to stay in death. You don't need to stay empty. Third, you and I will see Jesus. You know what? In all the things that heaven promises from the Hollywood, I'm going to tell you, because some of our members asked a good question, I don't know if I could go to heaven and listen to someone preach for hours. I was like, How, thanks be to God, you won't hear me preach. You won't hear anyone preach. Heaven's worship is not going to be that. Heaven's worship is going to see Jesus face to face in the most glorious way. The one that loves you more than anything else to die for. And the one that you were designed to love. This is why you're so unhappy. Because you're loving things other than Jesus. You're going to have once and for all for eternity. That he is our treasure. This is why Jesus in his parables, when someone finds a treasure, they sold everything they have and they bought the land. Because the treasure was all that they wanted. Jesus is our treasure. So interesting, the women were told by the angels and Jesus, don't be afraid. He is alive. You will see him again. Friends, I want to talk to you. Do not be afraid. God is in control. Amen? Now, I know that's easier for me to say, but this is where faith kicks in. Because faith doesn't kick in in the vacuum of, of nightmares. In nightmare, we have a reason to still not be afraid. As Job says, even though my flesh should be destroyed, yet with my eyes I will see God. Because what can, what can people do to my body? God is the one who could just kill my body and throw me to hell. But he's the one who died for me. He is alive. And we will see Jesus again. But there's another reason why empty is good. Because I want to share this first. Matthew 5, 6. Empty is good because when you know you're empty, you will be filled. Matthew 5, 6 tells us, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Did I put that verse? Um, not yet. For they shall be satisfied. And the word filled is corazo, satisfied, that God is going to replenish us. Same, similar idea on Psalm 42.2. My soul thirsts for God. I feel empty. I feel lost. I feel I'm running on fumes. I feel like, God, are you even there? And that emptiness, when you start crying out to God, is a good thing. Because that's when you realize God's the pers per person who can fill us. When shall I come and appear before God? It is only the empty and the humble 
that will be filled by God. It is only the empty and the humble. Think about it. If you're, my life is good. I don't need God. God, you're cool. Thanks for making my life great. I'll take it from here. I'm good. God can't do much with you. You're arrogant. You're self-sufficient. You're your own God. But if you're lost and you feel empty and you feel like I'm running on fumes and you fall on your knees and you fast in prayer, you realize the words from Peter, humble yourself before God and he will lift you up and he will fill you up. Um, Someone in our church family posted this on Facebook and I was like, oh, how perfect. Let me read a devotional that she posted. God doesn't give his power to arrogant people. Humility is simply admitting to God, you are God and I am not. I am powerless to change the situation. So I am giving it to you. The moment you do, God brings his resurrection power into your situation. What's dead in your life? If God can raise a dead man, he could certainly raise a dead marriage, a dead career, a dead dream. God specializes in turning crucifixions into resurrections. This is why blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Paul says this way, for while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. This Easter season, the message is telling us it's okay to be empty. Embrace your emptiness. Confess that to God and say you're my only hope. And let God bring his resurrection power and hope into your life. The object of your faith is more important than the volume of your faith. And when you have that object of faith in Christ Jesus who rose again, the emptiness can become a blessing. Let me end with this. We could go on and on. That resurrection gives us peace, gives us hope, but it does one thing, and I want to challenge all of you as I wrap up. There's one more thing that the resurrection does that we don't hear enough. If you look at the women, what did they do? They saw a resurrected Jesus, and behold, Jesus met them and said, greetings. And then what did they do? I'll tell you what they didn't do. They didn't say, like liberals and conservatives fighting at each other, we're going to heaven, evangelicals. Or liberals, great, there's social justice. Or we had the better understanding of scripture. If you notice, when they saw Jesus, that he was alive, none of that mattered at that moment. What did they do? They didn't say, see, Republicans are right. Jesus is alive. Democrats are right. All our ideology in this world fades away. The thing that matters is this. When they saw Jesus alive, they came up, took hold of his feet, and here, can we say this? They worshiped. The one thing resurrection will invite us to do is to believe you first, but it invites us to worship this God who overcame the grave. Worship him. When he's alive, you don't just look at him. You praise him. You adore him. He is to be adored more than even your family. He is to be adored even more than your career, your identity. When Jesus is alive, if Jesus is alive, if you have any inkling that Jesus truly died and three days later rose again, the proper response to those who believe and see this is we worship him with everything. 
not once a year, not even once a week. We give our lives as a hallelujah. You are worthy of it all. And the people of God said, amen. Will you be worshipers? That if Jesus Christ rose from the dead, emptiness can be a blessing. And that you have a purpose in life. You and I have a purpose. I don't, I don't worship because I'm a pastor. I would have worshipped even when I wasn't a pastor. We worship because Jesus is alive. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Lord, this Easter, you know our emptiness. You know our lostness. Lord, you've seen and you transformed hopelessness and emptiness and pain into something beautiful. This does not mean, God, you remove all of our struggles and obstacles. But, God, this does mean that you redeem them, that you have a purpose for them. And in the end, you will still be glorified and we will be right where we need to be. God, I'm praying for everybody here and everybody listening and just my own heart. That because you rose again, help our faith to grow. Help us to look with hope, even in facing emptiness, exhaustion, or just utter failures. And to say, Jesus, we hunger after your righteousness. Will you fill us up? Knowing that he hears the prayers of the humble. So Lord, pour upon us. Uh, give us a renewal and revival. We exalt you. We pray this. In the name of the risen Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.